0: As we get going, let's stand real quickly. We've had an awesome time. Uh, My message was completely done. Uh, Carrie and Anna, thank you all. What you did, what you said, what you modeled is everything I wanted to say, (laughs) isn't it? I mean, they modeled very specifically. They took an event, and they were generous. And then a young girl went into a lifestyle that radically changed her life, the people around her, four orphanages instead of one. And it happened because parents didn't see generosity as we decided to give a big gift once. But in the midst of a lot of pain, they decided to teach their children what it looks like to be generous over the long haul with clear intentionality, very specific goals, and with a real heart of joy. So um, my mission is to try and follow up on what you all have done. And so I'm going to pray God will give us great grace to do that. The other part was that music was awesome. And I thought, i better stand up, or none of you will stay with me. You're just being because <laughs> you know, right? It was awesome. So come back to the concert, but sit down now. Grab one of those little orange books. Use it as a background. Grab a pen. Uh, I'm more of a teacher in terms of you need to write stuff down. We're going to get after it together. And I want to talk with you about uh, why it's genius, smart, to be radically generous. There's a difference between giving and generosity. I came up around a great group that discipled me. I memorized hundreds of verses. I learned how to meet with God first. I've been doing that for probably 35 years now. Uh, I learned to share my faith. I learned great skills, and it was around people who modeled it. And so I learned to tithe early. After that, I learned to be a progressive giver. So by the time I was in my early 20s, I gave 30% of my income away. And because of my personality and probably some unintended consequences of those that taught me very well, I thought I was just a cut above other people that gave less than 30% of their income. And so what I learned was how to give. John Saville taught me how to be generous. John is a story. Some of you have heard this, and uh, if you're thinking, I've heard this message before, wait, wait, don't give up on me yet. I want to tell it because it's the best paradigm, but this is a different message. You'll read the rest of his story and that message in chapter one of the book in front of you. But I was 28 years old, zealous, a workaholic pastor who gave 30% percent self righteous Uh, but worked hard and wanted, I mean, everything you've heard about commitment, challenge, go for it. You are looking at the poster boy for all of that. And so God planted me where I needed to learn that, not in a mega church, but in a mini church, 35 people, rural Texas, town of 3000. After one year, I learned 34 of the 35 people are related. (laughs) Say no more. But the chairman of the board there was a man named John Saville. If you're from Dallas, you've heard of Saville and Dodge, CPA firm. John, after a year of watching him, said, Chip, come on down. Let's have lunch. And I went in my non-air-conditioned car with the only suit that I had. I went into a glass building, went up a glass elevator, went up multiple floors, like 30-some floors, walked out, mahogany wood. A very nice lady, I learned the entire floor was Saville Dodge. Mr. Saville will be right with you. John comes out, hey, Chip. John, you need to understand, is very different than me. John's probably in his early to middle 70s by now. I'm 28. I'm athletic. I'm very young. I'm very hip. I'm very cool, or so I think. John is none of those things. John is weird, semi-kooky, came to Christ late and was urgent about the gospel. And so he says, let's go to lunch. And so we get in an elevator. Instead of going down, we go up. So I find myself in a restaurant that's very foreign to my background of school teacher parents, where a menu comes out and there's no numbers on the right side. In fact, there's no numbers. And there's like three people to wait on your table. And so we have steak and lobster and other food that was foreign to my palate. And John said, I got a deal I'd like to make with you. And we were looking out over Dallas. Isn't this great? You know, John was very expressive. And you'll notice on your notes, here's what it was. John had a desire. I had an opportunity. We made a deal. We made a deal because he was the chairman of the elders, and I viewed him as my boss. And whatever deal he said, I figured I better do it. And he sat across the table after this lavish lunch. He just said, I just wanted you to see where I work, and isn't this beautiful, and God's blessed me. And he pulled out a white box, pulled out a checkbook out of the box. He said, now, Chip, this is what I'd like you to do. I have a desire, my heart, for poor people and hurting people and people that go without. And the part of Texas was very rural and there were lots of needs. And he said, you're rubbing elbows with those people all the time. And he said, open up that checkbook. And I opened it up. It said, pastor's discretionary fund. He said, well, go to the back. And I went to the back and it had five, zero, zero, zero dot. There was $5,000 in it. He says, now, Chip, here's the deal. I want to love people and I have resources. You're with the people. I want you to put this in your back pocket every single day. And I want you to walk around out in Kaufman and Terrell and those rural areas. And any time you see a need that you think I might want to love someone for the sake of Jesus, I want you to help them. And so we said, okay, And I went down the glass elevator. And I had this checkbook. And I'd never had a checkbook with $5,000 of anybody's money, let alone somebody else's in my possession. At first I was afraid, I thought I would mess up. And I uh, was a person who'd lost my keys, lost my wallet. And so finally I decided there was a little ledge right when you walk in the door. So every day, wallet, keys, and now checkbook. Then every day when I walked out, wallet, keys, checkbook went here. And at first it was like, oh wow, all this weight, all this responsibility. And then the breakthrough came a few days later. I was in a grocery line, you know, Safeway or Brookshire's or one of those places. And if you've ever watched someone go through a grocery line and they're trying to figure out what to put back because they don't have enough money to pay for it. And I'm kind of watching this and, you know, it doesn't take long to pick up. There's two kids and one running around. And the lady is pretty emotional. And she begins to tell the clerk, well, let me, wait just a second. And trying to catch this kid. And well, I could take this back and I could take this back. and. I said, excuse me, ma'am, you seem pretty flustered, are you okay? And she just started to break down, she goes, well, my husband left me, and he took everything that we have, and I'm going to go live with my mom, and we don't have any food, I don't have anything, I'm putting the kids in the station wagon. And, and, and she began to tell her story, and, and I had my first John Savile moment. Ba-ba-ba, ba 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 I said, ma'am, what do you really need? And she goes, Well, I said, You know what? Excuse me. And I said, Let's put all this back in this cart, but let's walk around the store together. What do you really need for your kids? Need a little bit of that? Need a little bit of that? And we went through and it got to the end. And I wrote a check, and it was so fun spending John's money. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. I had a blast. And, and then, you know, we got out and I helped her put him in the car. And as I was putting him in the car, you know, just sort of a little moment of discernment, you could tell. I looked at her and I said, You don't have gas money, do you? She goes, no. I said, see that 7-Eleven, you just pulled right over there. So she pulled over there. And John's money is getting better use all the time. And I filled her car up with gas. And I could tell you the story of an elderly couple that we turned on their electricity again. No one cared about them. I could tell you about a runaway team that I bought a bus ticket and shared Christ with. All I can, in the short amount of time we have, something happened. Uh, about every three to four months, I went back and I had lunch with John. And John insisted we go up, and we had extravagant lunches. There was a level of joy, and and, and part of his uncoolness was, remember the day when people used to say things like, praise the Lord? You would say something, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And, you know, at some point that got uncool, and it seemed semi-cliché. John never got the memo. (laughs) And John was totally, I mean, on the back of his Cadillac, you know, I came from a background, how could you be a Christian and have a Cadillac? I had no idea how, you know, wealth and generosity and all that worked. And, and on the back, it had a little sticker is, I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? I mean, that was John. And it was a bright yellow Cadillac. And once a month, he went to the prisons all over America and shared Christ. And I would tell him, he said, well, so I would sit down, he'd say, well, tell me what happened. And I would go through and tell a story two, three-hour lunches. And the ones that he really liked, he would lean back, praise the Lord. And I mean, I'm looking around. I mean, this is a very exclusive place. And I just want to go, oh, John, you just don't get it. And and so about every three to four months, we'd go do that. And on the bottom, what I want to show you is something that happened in my life, because when we think of generosity, sometimes we can get it so missionally minded, so around commitment, so around challenge, so much about the outcomes that are supposed to happen, and there's certainly a clear place for that, and we've heard about that. But what I learned from John is you can give and not be generous, and the breakthrough concept I learned from John is this, is that generosity is the gateway to intimacy with God. At the end of the day, what Jesus wanted with that rich young ruler was not any of his money. He wanted his heart that money was an idol and a blockage to his heart. Jesus loved him. Now, here's what I have to tell you. I have nothing in common with this kooky 70-plus-year-old man that back then seemed really old. Seems like a later midlife to me now. <laughs> but rarely a day went by that I didn't think about John. Think of that. Nothing in common. I only saw him, a couple, you know, saw him in church, but every day... I put it in my pocket. I thought about John. Not just thought about him. I thought, I wonder what John would want to do. And you know, I was young, but I wasn't dumb. The things that he said, praise the Lord, the loudest, I'm thinking that's where the money's going, right? I mean, I want it to, it's his money. It ought to go to make him the happiest. And so I did. And so here I am thinking about this old kooky guy that I... The second thing that happened is I started taking... Um, strangely more meticulous meticulous care of balancing his checkbook than my own. Uh, I was always sort of a big picture guy. Uh, My wife, thankfully, is not. But in my single days, it was like, if it's within 10 or 20 bucks, the bank's probably right. I mean, why spend four hours trying to figure it out? I mean, CPAs are going, are you kidding me? But, you know, to say to John, it's his money, there's $5,000, hey, John, I think I'm off $200, $300, but I'm sure you don't mind. I was not going to go and say that to an accountant. And it was his money. And here's the third thing that was most exciting, is to my amazement, John and I became best friends. I, I don't mean casual friends, I mean best Friends. I mean, I started going to John with issues and counsel about raising kids and and financial issues. And all I knew was John was fun. Ours was joy. There was no sense of martyrdom. There was no sense of self-righteousness. My giving was about how can I give a bigger percentage and I can make more impact. And then there was a self-righteousness built into it. And I gave 10. Now I give 20. Now I'm going to give 30%. Soon I'll give 40%. And I'm just going to out. And you know, it wasn't quite as conscious as that. But when I'm honest... I was a very giving person who was very not generous. I prayed real carefully about what to share with you all, and a little bit later I'm going to share it, because it doesn't always happen this way, but I was praying for you all on what to share. And I knew, because David would be here, I was not sure what you were going to hear, but I knew it would be radical, (laughs) right? It's going to be radical. Have Have you got enough radical, right? And as I prayed early one morning, it was like, Chip, what I want people to hear and understand is, of course, it's radical. Of course, I'm the awesome God. Of course, there's the Great Commission. But I want you to remind them that giving isn't an event. Given it's not sort of just metrics of measuring how much more you can give. It's not just about doing good. The purpose behind giving is I want to become best friends with my children. I want them to understand, yes, the basics. And most of you already know it. God owns it all. Guess what? John owned it all. I got news for you. It's fun spending somebody else's money. It was an adventure. It was a blast. And, you know, a little bit earlier, Anna, did you see, did you see her kind of a little bit tear up and a little bit nervous? And just right before she said, and I had the chance to raise $80,000 for orphans in Haiti. And did you see the look on her face? That, that, was, that, was that someone who's, man, I saw a joy and a transformation and, a, and an awe that you can't bottle. That's what I had with John. That's what God wants with you. I don't know how much you're supposed to give. I don't know how much you're supposed to keep. In fact, I don't think anybody here can tell you that. But here's what I can tell you is you need to think every day about being on a joyful, exciting, amazing adventure and that all of your time and all of your money and all of your future, you are this steward of this Holy Father who so loves you. And he wants you to become best friends in the journey where he starts to whisper in your ear and you give it here and he whispers in your ear and you give it here and you're thinking, don't know if we can do that. You know, you take a step of faith, but you do it because you love people and then you see him take care of you. See, the amazing thing that happened with John, I didn't know how quite to take this, was um, it wasn't every three or four months, but, you know, I've spent $5,000, i am down to $4,000, i am down to $3,500, i am down to $2,200. i am just thinking, what the heck? It's his money. I'm going to be generous. And then out of the blue, I'd get my bank statement. Boop, I'm back up to 5000 Boop, I'm back up to 5000 God is so longing for children that would see who you are, what you have, and the money that you have, and the business you've grown, and the savings, and all the stuff, just to say, could you understand? I want to put my arm around you, and I want to take you on one of the most exciting adventures of learning to trust me and see me. And you know what? When he finds people that are generous from the heart, who are lovers of him and lovers of people, he, can, he fills things back up. There's really there's not a lot of competition here, even among Christians. He just doesn't have a lot of his children going, I just want to keep giving it away so you can keep filling it up. But boy, when he finds them, you go on an exciting adventure. As you turn the page in your notes, uh, I knew that I would not get to cover all of this as I prayed that morning, but this was the part of the message that God made very clear I was to share with you. Generosity certainly is uh, fundamentally about relationship. Generosity fundamentally is about intimacy with your Heavenly Father. Generosity does become a mechanism for helping the poor, absolutely, and the Great Commission. But we can give. Here's the key. Here's my role. We can give and not be generous. You can be on mission and not be generous from your heart. You can give and not have your heart connected to your Heavenly Father. And so I wanted to talk about maybe some of the things that those of us that are wealthy struggle with. And, and I knew, I didn't know how much, but I knew that you would hear some radical things. And I'd read enough of David's book to know that it was gonna be real radical. And, and my son read it, and I remember when my son read it, and. He said, Dad, I really want to talk. He's a young dad. He's in his mid-30s. He's got three kids. He just started two and a half years ago. his own physical therapy business. So, I mean, he's in the midst of all of life and how it works. And he reads this book by David Platt, Radical. He goes, Dad, do you think we could sit down and talk? Because I want to be radical, but, like, how exactly do you do that right now with three? I mean... I don't think God wants me to go to Africa right yet, and uh, I've I've done this, and I've done that, and we give. So, by the way, at the end of his book, he does give you five specific steps that really get you moving in that direction that I think are very, very helpful. And if I sat down with my son and wanted to help him say, look, son, if you felt like, bang, you got hit between the eyes, and maybe God's shaking some of us out of our categories, let me talk about what radical generosity looks like in the five most important relationships of your life. You and God, you and the world system, you and yourself, you and believers, and you and unbelievers. And when you came in, you got that little cassette. It said, you know, living on the edge, our 12 Christians dare to become. The reason that we gave you that is because I'm not going to get to cover all this. And so there's a message on each of these points, because what I want to do is I want to skip from mountaintop to mountaintop and really talk about generosity. Are you ready? Get your pen out? The linchpin to lavish generosity, and I'm so glad that I'm on the same page with all the other speakers, it's surrender. That's the linchpin. That's the key. After not one, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 chapters of relationship and grace and the clearest explanation of the gospel, chapter 12, looking back on what God has done for us. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's great mercy, that you present, aorist tense, point in time, certain day, certain time. You present yourself, your body, as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. This is his logical or... Or this is your spiritual or logical service to Him. Translation, if the question ever came to your mind, I wonder what God really wants from me. Romans 12, 1 is the answer. He wants you. He wants you way more than your money, way more than your time, way more than all those other things. He wants you. Offer is a point in time. Your body what do you do with your hands? What do you do with your mind? What do you do with your feet? That's what God is really after. A little perspective maybe on our, on our rich young ruler. It's interesting. The rich young ruler came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't say, what does everyone else in the world need to do? He said, what must I do? And so Jesus quotes the second half of the commands. The first tablet is on your relationship with God, the first four. The last six are your relationship horizontally with people. So he goes through all the people ones and realizes this young man has an idol in his life. And so the reason he said, sell all that you have isn't that selling all that you have is a prerequisite to becoming a Christian. It was because there's an idol in his heart that didn't make room to receive Jesus. He needed to sell all he had because he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then I love David's insight There is, In that day, if you were rich, you were thought to be in great standing with God. And so if this is true, the rich, how can anyone be saved? And Jesus says, rich, poor, anyone else, it's impossible. Slash, it's grace. It's a gift. It's by faith. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he needed to surrender too. But he didn't need to give everything that he had. He needed to surrender his works, religious righteousness, and his own self-dependency in a system and realize he needed to be born again. When the woman at the well came to Jesus, her issue was the same. She needed to surrender, but she didn't need to give everything she had. She didn't have anything anyway. She needed to surrender her shame and her guilt that made her feel like she was unworthy of receiving anything that anyone could give, let alone a man, let alone the Savior of the world. What I can tell you is the linchpin of lavish generosity is surrender. And here's what I know in this conference. God has a surrender message for everyone in this room. I don't know what it is, and no one can tell you what it is. I know some people that they would gladly I have a friend who, if God would have told him, give every, all the money that you have, he would have written a check, sold everything tomorrow. Just don't take away his guitar and his music. He was a very popular songwriter. He became very famous. And it was his God. And in his journey, God said, I want you to lay down your guitar and stop writing songs. And it was for two years. But he had a huge contract with Columbia. He said, the only songs I can write are about God. They said, we're not selling those. And God just told me to put down my guitar. What is it? By the way, chapter 12 is lordship, surrender. This is what normal Christians do. You get saved in chapters end of three, chapter four, and five. What? Where do you hear God speaking to you? See, what he wants more than, okay, I'm going to go home and give 10 more percent, or I'm going to give half my percent, I heard this story, I'm going to do this. Instead of just thinking about an event, which do not hear me say you shouldn't, but beyond just I'm going to double my giving. I'm going to take this step. Or, you know, I just feel down deep. I can't believe it. I don't want to talk to my wife. I don't want to sell that beach house, but I think we're supposed to. Or Actually, ours is in the mountains. Or, you know what? You know, I kind of like cars, and, you know, I've sort of justified it's an investment, but I got like nine of them, and I'm thinking maybe my baby step is to sell three. I don't know what God wants you to do, but I'll tell you this. First and foremost, He wants you, if you've never done it, to tonight bow your knee and bow your heart and say, Lord, all that I am, all that I have, all that I will ever be, I offer to you. This is my gift. Now whatever you want, whenever you want it, I want you to know I'm all in. And then, and then, you know, here's the deal. Listen to him. Don't make this some transaction. I love the video that we watched about the doctor who was running. You know what impressed me about the video? You know what was most important? What God was doing, he was reshaping her heart. She, des- she decided to live like a nurse, not because every doctor should live like a nurse, not because everyone should give 75% of their money away. It was that when she's running, she's getting close to her father, and her father's speaking to her. And she realizes that she's kind of bought into the party line about this is how you live. And she got to where she said, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. And he spoke to her, and she did what God wanted her to do. And because of that, her heart gets enlarged. She gets closer to her father, her joy. And yes, the poor get fed, and people get helped. And she ends up, do you see it? What is it that God wants you to do? Have you sat quietly? And by the way, don't, don't wrestle with and don't compare. It's not what he wants anyone else to do. And would you be willing, here's the scary thing, Lord, I will do whatever you would show me and sit quietly. Here's what I will guarantee. If you've been struggling with answers to prayer, this one will come pretty quickly. (laughs) And if it sounds a little unreasonable that it would glorify God, help a lot of people, be a significant sacrifice, and scare you a little bit, guaranteed that's not from you. Some of you have to think on that one just a minute. (laughs) Let me do that one more time. If what comes to your mind when you sit quietly will glorify God, help a lot of people, make you a little bit afraid, cause you to take a little bit of risk, and make be involved in sacrifice, that's the spirit of God. Second, the enemy of lavish generosity is the world system. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test. Literally, it was a, a word used for testing the quality of metal and its purity. Then you can test or approve what God's will is, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so here, what I want you to know is that there's an enemy to being a lavish, generous person. And I, I put the little verse there, 1, uh, 1 John two fifteen through 17. So you have a relationship with God. And what's, what did Jesus say? What's God really want? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. Well, the enemy of your soul wants to seduce you. And there is an enemy called Satan who has an agenda, who's created a pattern or a world system, and your flesh is drawn to that world system. And what he promises is that success, security, and significance comes through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There's very few times in the Bible, I think it's always exciting, when someone says, you know, the world, and then another passage describes the world. First John says, love not the world nor the things that are in the world. And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then he goes on to say, and those who... Love the world, the love of the Father's not in them. Every time you go out the checkout stand, the world is right in front of you. There's Forbes screaming at you, saying, You know what? You got to have so many zeros, and this makes you a someone. And Cosmo or Men's Health is saying, You either need surgery or start really working out because you need to look like this and have this kind of a body, or you need to have this kind of a house, you need to wear these kind of clothes. And you know the world, it just screams at you. You you know what commercials are? Commercials are designed to make you discontent with what you have. That's why you have to so limit what goes into your mind. Notice he didn't say, stop, literally the grammar here is stop allowing this world to squeeze you into its mold, but start, it's in the passive voice, allowing your mind to be renewed by the truth in order that you could experience God's will, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So you've got to be so careful because you're a product of your thought life. Don't go home thinking, I'm going to try hard to be more generous. Don't try hard to be a better Christian. It doesn't work. Transformation comes by the renewing of your mind. That's why, of all the things you talk about being generous, give God the first portion of your day. You give God the first portion of your day and say, I'm going to be early. I was not a morning person. And you don't necessarily have to do it in the morning, but I'll tell you this, most of your lives, if you don't mark off time and spend quality time with God first, it'll be tired or little or skipping later. You'll never be a generous person until you know your father's heart. You need to have not once a month lunches with your father. You need to have daily times where you feed on the manna of his word and you open up your heart and you say, you know, I just want instructions for today. I want you to remind me that I'm a beloved child. I want you to remind me it's not my performance. I want you to remind me how much you love me. I want you to remind me how generous you've been with me. God, I want your spirit to be so important inside of me that I love the people. I don't know who you're going to bring across my path, but I'm I'm on an adventure. What do you want to do with the time you gave me? What do you want to do with the money with me? By the way, this is for rich Christians like us. Something that's been a good habit for me. I did this accidentally because someone, I was speaking somewhere, and a guy gave me an envelope and had 10 $100 bills. And it started this journey for me. And I don't know why, I just got it. One, I thought, what? Well, I didn't think they, they should need to pay me anything. And, and God just sort of, you know, that little small voice said, you know what, just put this in your briefcase, and I'll just tell you who to give this $100 to the mindset of walking around every day looking for who should I give 100 bucks to. I remember this guy wandering was from another country. He was out there and I'm driving and I got my oil changed and he's there and I'm going, God says, he's one. You're kidding me, no. So I go and he's walking, you know, you're know, you walking toward a guy. He's going, hey, you know, he thinks I'm a weirdo. So I remember pulling over there. He said, no, 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 come here. And he's from another country, Ask about his family, a heavy, heavy accent. He goes, look, Jesus wanted you to know that he loves you today. Jesus, he was a Middle Eastern guy. I said, yeah. And here's how he wanted to show you. And he looked at that. For me, I said, yeah. He said, why? I said, because he loves you. The guy walked away kind of going like this. And I walked away going, man, this is like the John Savile days. Most of you, couldn't you keep six or eight or $100 bills with you and just look for who to put it in someone's pocket the right time in the right way? I will tell you what, see, what, what happens if we make it so mechanical? What's my percentages? What about this? What about this? What about that? You need to have that kind of a game plan. And then what, what you want is eyes that are always saying, oh, Jesus, who do you want to love today through me? It's your money. It's your time. Three things I uh, thought of here that jotted down in my journal early one morning. Here's dangers for us rich people. Danger number one in your giving is works righteousness. Here's what I mean by that. Don't be conformed to this world. You know what? You can give a lot of money and think that, you know, it's very subtle. God loves me more. God owes me more. I'm more pleasing to God. I'll tell you, you know what makes you pleasing to God? The blood of Christ. And everything you do is gratitude for the blood of Christ. Second danger is uh, self-righteousness. You ever find yourself, you know, looking at the the church budget or looking at things going, you know, what's wrong with these people? What don't they get with the program? I mean, what's wrong with them? If if everybody, you don't say it quite like this because it would be unsophisticated and you're really smart, sophisticated sinners like me. And so, you know, you say it in really veiled ways, but there's sort of like this, you know what, this project would get done. Well, you know, people, you know, when are they going to get the giving mindset? Be careful there. Where were you five years ago? Who made you judge of them? Inspire? Model? And the last one is pride. Be careful. Uh, obviously, I think there's great ways to challenge one another and love and good works. And I think especially when you get a group of people that all have the gift of giving to sort of kick stuff around and challenge one another. But boy, just, just be careful that you don't think, you know, uh, look at me. Look what I did. I, uh, I appreciated the facial expressions we got of the people who were awarded these giving awards. They were like, A, embarrassed, which was really good, and Jim was a little bit more uh, body language, right? <laughs> get a, you know what? I could hear him going, get that camera off me, boy, you know, right, you know? And you know why? That's, that's not why they give. That's not been their journey, but that's, we're all susceptible to that. So be careful. The third thing here, and as you can tell, we're not going to get through all of these, but what I want to do is give you a framework, is the window to lavish generosity is a sober self-assessment. Here's what I mean, a window. You will never become a generous person from the heart, enjoying intimacy with your Father, giving increasingly of your time, your treasure, and your talent, and doing it in ways where the poor's needs are met, and the gospel goes forth to the regions of the world, and things happen in your community, and you teach your family. It'll never happen until you get a sober self-assessment. Notice what he says in verse 3, according to the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. If we had time, in fact, on the CD, the word think happens three times. The word sober is the same root word. God wants you to look into the mirror of your soul, the window of your soul. Don't think too high of yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself. Think accurately. Think accurately. Money blurs your vision. Money makes you think about yourself that you're better or more powerful, or lots of wealthy people live with such guilt because you have it. And then he gives the reason for a sober self-assessment. For just as we have many members in the body, and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are members, bodies in Christ, belong to one another. You have strengths, and other people have weaknesses or needs. Here's what you need to understand. You need the poor as much as the poor need you. You need to give. You need to release. You need to receive. God has entrusted some here, needs here. We need one another. Why? So that we understand we're dependent, that we need one another. And then he says, well, where should your focus be? And then he talks about your grace. If prophecy, you know, if you got these gifts, Align your gifts around how God made you for the greatest contribution. Stop trying to please everyone. Stop getting on every committee. Stop asking, what are other people doing? Stop trying to please people with what you do. If your gift is prophecy, do it according to the proportion of your faith. If it's teaching, teach. If it's serving, serve. If it's giving, do it liberality. If it's mercifully, do it cheerfully. What he's saying is where I've wired you in the body of Christ, get an accurate, sober self-assessment and few things will m- mar your view of you than money. Because money is connected to power. And power is about what people think. And power can be used to control. When's the last time you went out with your family and you let someone else buy? When's the last time you went to an event and you didn't buy? See, one of the dangers of us rich people... And, you know, it's so subtle, and you think your heart's right, and you think your motives are right, but we control through our money. And, yeah, I want to help my kids with this, or I want to help this ministry with this, but as long as they do this or they do that, you need to have a sober self-assessment. You need to accurately know, you know, this is who I am. This is my role. I'm a steward of these gifts, and not just the money gifts, but the talent gifts and the supernatural gifts God's deposited in you. It's a window. You see, what connects you to the body of Christ over here and what connects you with not being conformed to the world is getting an accurate picture of yourself where you can look in the mirror and say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't need to be someone else. I don't need to do something else. I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to impress anyone. That comes from understanding your identity in Christ, and that comes from renewing your mind, and that comes when you say to God, I surrender. I want your estimation of me. Do you see where generosity, the money thing, you know what it is all about? It's this little tool God uses to pry open our hearts to get us rightly connected to him, clearly connected accurately to ourselves. And then in the next section, what we see is what? To other believers. The joy of lavish generosity is serving in love. I love this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Literally, the word for hypocrisy is a mask. Literally, in your love, in your relationships, you take off the mask. Abhor what is evil, be devoted, be devoted to brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, notice, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. And then it gets back to our side of it again, right? Contributing to the needs of the saints, not with control, not to impress, but to love. And then practicing hospitality, literally, it's entertaining strangers, it's people that don't fit It's people you don't know. It's people that are unlovely. And I'm telling you, did you see the joy on the family's face and every single person who shared up here about their generosity story? The joy? Joy is the serious business of heaven, according to C.S. Lewis. And generosity is the key that opens your heart. Do, Do you see what... Generosity, it's a lifestyle. It's surrendered to God. It's separate from the world's values. It's a sober self-assessment, and it's serving others in love. And what I can tell you is, you can take, you know, that, okay, what's it look like to be radical? And you can start with surrender, and then you can ask, Lord, where am I conformed to the world? Where do I drive the kind of car because everyone with my kind of income drives this kind of car? and just say, Lord, I'm open to driving any kind of car. If this is a good one for me, great. But be fully convinced in your own mind. What what we do is we push down all kind of stuff, and we dare not judge one another. God has an agenda. We're all different places on the journey. He has a passion for the poor. He has a commitment to the global commission of what God wants to do all around the world. And he's entrusted with us. But more than anything else, he wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to get intimate with him. And he wants you to grow in this area of surrender. And you see, it's it's in every relationship. The final acid test, and this is the impact of lavish generosity, and it is when you supernaturally respond to evil with good. It's very interesting. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless means to desire the salvation of someone, to do good for them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. He goes on to say, if your enemy's hungry, what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And so doing, talks about heaping burning coals on their head. It's a picture of when your good is exchanged for the evil that you receive, causes repentance. It burns a hole in their thinking. You're never more like Jesus than when you're generous and kind and loving to those people that have hurt you or betrayed you. I don't know if you've heard the Osterink story, but you should. It's a story of giving back to someone. You know, how many of you have ex-mates or ex-bosses or ex-business partners that if you got in a small group and it was safe and you could be absolutely honest, there is still bitterness and hurt and unforgiveness. You know what generosity is? Do for them what God did for you. Bless them. Pray for them. If, If possible, do good for them. Care for them. Uh, do things that may, they may never know it's you. If you ever want your heart changed towards someone, do good, forgive, release, love. Does this ring a bell? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This generous act of forgiveness as he was being killed, and it must have been contagious, because what did Stephen say? Father, forgive them. What I want you to hear is generosity is not an event where you come to a conference, get fired up, and say, I'm going to give X more percent. That's step one. Generosity is a lifestyle where you begin to say, God, I want to be surrendered to you. I long to be progressively separate from the world's values as I renew my mind. I want to get an accurate view of me so I do exactly what you want me to do with the group of people in my giftedness to love and bless people. It's not just writing a check. It's exercising my gifts in my heart. And then I want to do life in authentic community where the real me shows up and meets real needs for the right reason in the right way. And there's this backlash of joy as I give it out to others. And in a fallen world, you're going to get ripped off. And when you get ripped off, you will never be more generous or more Christ-like than when you do the very opposite. Do not be overcome with evil, beloved but overcome evil with good. Those are our marching orders. With my son, who read the book, we're on a journey to say, what's it look like? What's it look like to be a generous, lavish R12 Christian? Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the example of Carrie Thank you for the example of Anna. Thank you for the stories we've heard. And most of all, uh, Jesus, thank you for being so generous with us. The real message is, would you give us the courage to look at the idols in our life? And at times, an idol can even be how much we give and the personal sense of worth and value that we think we're getting from the head. And Lord then would you help us to as we heard radically surrender to the good and kind and awesome God of Psalm 84:11. You God are a sun and a shield, unlimited resource, unlimited protection. You give mercy and grace. And no good thing will you withhold from those who walk uprightly. Would you help us to believe that you are so kind and so good and so sovereign and so loving that every step of risk and surrender would be a safe one in your hands as you lead us. Make us generous people for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.